Hi everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Philosophy and Film podcast, produced in partnership with the Hyde Park Picture House in Leeds. My name's Joe Saunders, I'm a philosopher at Durham University, and for the past few years I've organised a regular Philosophy and Film series here at the Picture House. The basic format of the series sees a philosopher, typically from the University of Leeds, choose a film which is then screened at the Picture House. Afterwards, the philosopher gives a short talk about what they found interesting in the film, and then we have a Q&A with the audience. And if we're lucky, this continues at the pub afterwards. We've been running these events for over four years now, and during that time, we've had some really great films, speakers, and interesting discussions. Sadly though, because of the ongoing pandemic, and also a redevelopment project due to begin at the cinema, the series has been on pause for most of this year. So we were thinking it would be great to continue the series somehow and share with people some of the enjoyable talks and discussions we've already had, as well as to begin some new exciting ones. And that's where the idea of a podcast came in. Now, it's worth mentioning that with a country currently in and out of lockdowns, it seems that we're going to be relying on Zoom quite a lot to record some of the conversations. So the sound quality might be a little patchy at times. But given that there's not that much going on outside at the minute, it feels like a really good time to give the podcast a shot. So the way the podcast works is that in each episode, I'll be joined by a different guest philosopher. Each of these philosophers will have chosen a film for us to discuss. And then we're going to talk about what the world of philosophy could maybe teach us about the film, but also what the film itself can teach us about the world of philosophy. And before you switch off, worried perhaps you don't know the difference between Aristotle and Sabon de Beauvoir, uh, those who've attended the screenings before will know that our discussions are aimed to be really accessible with no prior knowledge of philosophy or reading required. The only thing we recommend is watching the film beforehand, and that's about it. So, we're starting off this week with one of my favourite films of the past few years, Paul Thomas Anderson's 2017 Phantom Thread. If you've not seen the film yet, now's your chance to hit pause, give it a watch, and rejoin us afterwards. I really recommend watching this film. Uh, the film was selected by philosopher Dr. Natasha McKeever at the University of Leeds. Uh, Natasha has produced lots of really interesting work on the philosophy of love and sex. I spoke with Natasha on Zoom earlier this year, just as we'd entered our first lockdown in March. Welcome, Dr. Natasha McKeever. Thanks very much for inviting me, Joe. Yeah, no worries. How are you getting on at the minute? Yeah, I mean, it's a weird time. I, I'm quite liking the quite slow and simple pace of life at the moment. Um, when I turn the news on, it makes me feel pretty stressed and anxious, but in general day-to-day life is really quite sort of easy I guess at the moment. Aside from the news what was the last thing you watched? Have you seen any films uh, in quarantine? Or? The last the last thing I saw at the cinema uh, which is a while ago now and I don't think I'll be going to the cinema anytime soon is um <laughs> is JJ Rabbit and I really love that I was quite skeptical about it at first. The premise of a boy being, uh, it's about a boy whose imaginary friend is Hitler and he's a boy in the Hitler youth and he's very taken by the ideology of Nazism. Um, and then it it's about him really having to confront that, I suppose, and realise that he got it wrong and that Hitler wasn't such a good dude after all. So it's a sort of, I mean, it's kind of a comedy, but it's got, 
some very poignant bits as well and it's yeah i recommend it was there anything uh this is kind of a strange question but was there anything philosophically interesting about it yeah i think there are philosophic so there are there are things that i can't say too much about because i don't want to give away spoilers of the film but there's some interesting questions about redemption and um I guess, yeah, sort of confronting the ideologies that you uh, that you stretch your life around. Um, and it's also just really interesting the way that the film's from a child's perspective, because um, I think there aren't loads of great films that are targeted at adults that come from that perspective. And it really shows how sort of easy it is for children to get brainwashed, but also how kind of intensely kind and loyal and sweet children can be nice yeah, that, that's interesting I, yeah I, the reviews of it were mixed that i read online so i was kind of uh, a bit skeptical like you were but maybe i'll give it a go if there ever comes a chance to watch it. yeah i think you'd like it okay well let's just jump into the actual discussion of phantom thread so the idea is that we're going to structure this around kind of three basic questions so just to give you an idea of what the questions will be the first question is just asking our invited philosopher why they chose that film the second question is asking whether there's anything we can learn about the film uh, the viewing of the film or thinking about it from the world of philosophy so if philosophy can teach us anything about the film then the final question, and perhaps the most interesting, maybe at least for us, is whether philosophy in the world of kind of current academic philosophy could learn anything from the film. So this film's obviously an interesting portrayal of love. Can the philosophy of love learn anything from Reynolds and Alma? So, like I said, let's uh, jump in with the first question. So, Tash, why did you choose uh, this film? Uh, so I saw this film a couple of years ago when it came out at the cinema, and I was just immediately blown away by it. Um, I really love Paul Thomas Anderson movies in general, and uh, this film's you know, got loads of really great qualities. It's atmospheric, it's well made, well acted, well written, um, but it's also just got a, what I thought to be a really fascinating exploration of love and romantic relationships, um, especially with that twist at the end. Um, I think that just really did it for me, and because, as you said, I'm interested in the philosophy of love and sex. Um, it was just something that, sort of a film that really stuck, stuck on my mind after watching it. So on to the kind of second question. Uh, what can we learn about the film from philosophy? You work on the philosophy of love and philosophy of sex do you think that has anything interesting to say about the film yeah i think there's quite a lot um but one thing that really struck me is what the film has well relating what the what the film does with what um people in the philosophy of love say about vulnerability and care and love and the importance of um those features for romantic love in particular so it seems like at the end of the film, what binds Alma and Reynolds together is that she recognises a need in him that he has, but has kept under wraps, which is to relinquish control and be taken care of. And she finds a way to do this 
or perhaps they find a way to do this together that works for them both. And it's possible that he also recognises in her this need for him to be vulnerable before her and for her to take care of him. And so he accepts that that's a need that she has and they find this strange solution to their relationship problems. And uh, as I was, when I was writing the talks, this film, and I was reading around it, I um, I read something interesting, which was that Paul Thomas Anderson said he got this the idea for this film when he was ill himself. He said he doesn't like being slowed down or missing things, and he hates being ill, and usually tries to pretend that he isn't when he is. But one time he was really ill with flu, and he looked up at his wife and saw how she looked at him with such tenderness that he thought, I wonder if she wants to keep me this way, maybe for a week or two. And it was from that moment that the idea for Phantom, Phantom Thread was born. Um, and just reading that reminded me of um, what a philosopher called James Giles says about romantic love, is that it involves these desires um, to be vulnerable before another person in order to be nurtured or cared for by that person. And that's um, that's a reciprocal need that is kind of essential to romantic love and is also played out through sex and it seems that this aspect of love is really important to Alma that she wants him to be vulnerable so that she she can take care of him and by the end of the film it seems that he wants this too. Cool so it's the kind of basic idea that this this is a kind of real love story and the love between Reynolds and Alma is real there's just an obstacle in the way of it and the obstacle is his inability to be vulnerable and in in particular his inability to be vulnerable around her and they find a solution to this in uh poisoned mushrooms is that yeah i think that sounds like a good summary of my thoughts on it and is this supposed to tell us something about us i mean is this are we all reynolds and alma in a kind of less extreme way or is this just a weird fantasy case for the screen I think we all have aspects of Alma and Reynolds in us. So the um, these kind of needs to be vulnerable or to be cared for and to care for other people. But we also, at least many of us, do have our own obstacles that we perhaps are self-imposed or uh, ones that we don't want that get in the way of, of experiencing these features of love. One thing that struck me was it's a really strange time to be watching a film about how a serious fever and the kind of vulnerability it brings along can facilitate love. And the second thing was that we've been reading a book on love drugs. And the thought there is that in the future, it looks like there are going to be chemicals we can take that are going to be able to alter various things about us that might be able to improve our relationships. So, for instance, uh, we might take a chemical that makes us uh, better able to communicate uh, in a kind of less impatient way or better able to empathize and things like that. And if, if chemicals could do that, then they would it's not, you know, we wouldn't be taking them just for ourselves. We'd be taking them to improve our relationships. But of course, this stuff's kind of sci-fi, right? These are hypothetical situations we're imagining. But then it's just interesting where the, the mushrooms, are, you know, that's a chemical reaction. Uh, Reynolds is taking something 
that is changing its body chemistry in a way such that it becomes much more vulnerable about Alma. And it seems like they're doing it to improve the relationship. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. I hadn't put two and two together and thought about the connection with what's happening in this film with the debates over whether love drugs are something we should be investigating. But you're right, it is a, it's a drug that is used to enhance their relationship. Is it, am I right in thinking, is it MDMA that's sometimes used for sufferers of PTSD? Is that right? Yeah, or at least there have been trials, and I think it, it was in the past, and there are trials of using it now as well. And has that a similar kind of effect? It opens people up or something? Yeah, it opens people up. It makes them less anxious, more able to be honest and open with each other. And it has been shown that these kind of things improve relationships between romantic couples. More able to dance for eight hours. <laughs> yeah, more able to dance, but also more able to um, to explain their feelings and open up to each other in a non-confrontational, non-anxiety provoking environment. Ah, now you're kind of talking me into the poison mushrooms. <laughs> you know, that when we hear the stories of people with PTSD taking MDMA and it allows them to kind of open up, get in touch with their feelings and communicate them, but also experience the feelings of others. I mean, maybe it's not that far from what the mushrooms are doing to Reynolds. Yeah, I mean, it's it's slightly different, isn't it? Because he's, in taking the mushrooms, he's not opening up to Elmer as such. He's becoming incapacitated so that she could look after him. A good point. <laughs> He's just vomiting and sweating. Yeah, so it seems more, the whole thing seems more sadomasochistic in that sense because what he's experiencing is going to be pretty unpleasant while he's under the influence of the mushrooms. They're not fun mushrooms. I mean, maybe MDMA would be better for their relationship. I'm not sure. Yeah, be a very different film. <laughs> so, just to answer, just to before we move on to the next question. So, in a way, you presented this as again a kind of love story. There's an obstacle to love, and the poison mushrooms are a way around this. So, is what makes this kind of okay, or at least to think there's something going on that's not just a kind of moral monstrosity? The fact that it seems to be consensual. So that final scene is what's so potent about it is he looks like he's figuring out what's going on and then agrees to it. Uh, so this seems to make a big difference, right? It certainly seems to change something for him, for her, and the relationship also for the viewers. So there's, I guess, a lot of work done now on the in the philosophy of sex about how consent's necessary, but not enough by itself. So it's necessary, but not sufficient. So for any sexual act to be permissible, you need consent from all parties involved. But just because you have consent doesn't mean the act is thereby fine because there could be all sorts of other strange immoral things going on. So do you think the consent's enough here or it helps? Or I think in this case, it seems like it's enough. And the other things that we'd want to be thinking about would be the kind of background conditions. So what the what their relationship is like in general, who has the most power um, and also the risks involved. So, I mean, if if it was really risky taking these mushrooms that it had a strong chance of leading to his death, for example, then 
perhaps even if he's consenting to it, Alma shouldn't give him the mushrooms. And equally, if he if he didn't have if he wasn't the powerful person in the relationship in general, then it would seem like his consent wouldn't be enough. But given the dynamics of their relationship and gender relations more generally at that time, and sort of the power he has in the rest of his life, I think that in their case, the consent probably is is enough to make it morally acceptable what's going on. It doesn't mean it's overall a good thing. It seems like it's still overall a pretty bad thing, but this is what they're having to do and this is what they're deciding to do and we wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> yeah, just for the FYI, the Flustered Film Podcast does not recommend poisoning your partner. <laughs> So, so the kind of final question is do you think there's anything that philosophy uh, and in particular the philosophy of love could learn from this film yeah I think uh, I think maybe there are two things which are related so firstly that that love isn't easy for lots of people um, that people find it sort of love really difficult. And I think that's something that you know, some philosophers do do make a thing of, but others perhaps could think about it a bit more. Um, I think the film, although it, it's a kind of romantic comedy, it's also, there's a sadness to it, to the extremeness of the measures that Alma and Reynolds are willing to undergo in order to just experience basic features of love, um, intimacy, vulnerability and care. And I mean, so the, the film just shows us the kind of weird and extreme extents that people will go to in order to experience these kind of good things that, um, that philosophers talk a lot about as being features of love. Um, there was a review in The Guardian by Benjamin Lee of the film that I liked. And he said it's it's an unvarnished view of the reality behind love, the ongoing, sometimes head-smashingly difficult maintenance required to stay with someone. So it seems like in his view, um, the film is about something really quite mundane at, at its base of compromise and how to make relationships work. So, yeah, great. So it's the thought that... This gets overlooked in the philosophy of love because they're looking at kind of big questions. Yeah, I think so. I and mean, I guess that's it's a tendency of philosophy in general, really, to focus on the bigger questions, such as you know, what is love? Why do we love? What's good about love? And perhaps, and yeah, these are important questions, but they're not the kind of questions that fill people's heads day to day. Usually, when we're thinking about our relationships, we're not questioning what love is we're just thinking about whether uh, how we can stop our partner being so stubborn or arrogant or yeah so I don't know so perhaps there could there could be more focus on those kind of day-to-day grinding issues of, of relationships okay and so and so you think that in its own way this is kind of a film about the day-to-days of love it's kind of heightened dramatic well, in a way, but I think, um, and this is the second thing that I thought perhaps the film highlights that could be useful for philosophers to be reminded of, 
is that love has a really dark side and perhaps it shouldn't always be accommodated. So the film is a film about making a relationship work, but it's also, it's a film that the relationship is quite toxic and you wonder whether Alma and Reynolds should be trying to make that relationship work or whether they should just be walking away from it. So there's an asymmetry to their relationship and there's a, significant worry that there are some problematic gender stereotypes being played out in the film. So Alma and Reynolds do both make compromises for each other, but it's Alma who loses out more in their relationship. She moves in with him, she adjusts to his schedule, to his way of working, his temperament, and she tries to do nice things for him, bringing him tea, cooking him dinner, but he just scolds her for interrupting his way of living and he really doesn't talk to her in a very nice way a lot of the time. I just can't help thinking that she could have had a happier life without him, perhaps in a different relationship or just doing something completely different. So for me, the film does also serve as a warning to show that love has a dark side and perhaps shouldn't always be accommodated. I wouldn't say it's just a straightforwardly beautiful love story. The only other thought I had about the film, which is perhaps trivial, but it did strike, was I was I was struck by uh, so I was struck by something by both uh, the two leads. So I think this performance from Vicky Creeps is unbelievable. I mean, you, you expect it from Daniel Day Lewis, I guess, but I didn't really know anything about it. And I think you know, it's really impressive to go to head to head with Daniel Day-Lewis and to kind of surpass him in certain respects as well. So, yeah, I found her performance incredible. And I also found him remarkably handsome. I thought he had really nice hair in this film. Uh, he was kind of a joy to watch. But I could just be going quarantine mad. It's hard to... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'd, I'd agree with that. OK, cool. So that's us done for the main questions. What we thought we'd do is just end with a couple of kind of quick wrap up questions. So the first one is just, do you have any related reading or viewing that you'd recommend to uh, our listeners if we have any? Yeah. So if you're interested in the connection between love and vulnerability, there's a TED talk by James Giles, who's the philosopher that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and he's 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 the TED talk is on love, vulnerability and care. And if you're interested in the potential dark side of love, there's a book chapter by a philosopher called Annette Bayer called Unsafe Loves. That's available online as a PDF if you just search for it. That's really good too. Ah, nice. If uh, we do put this online, and hopefully we will, there should be some way for us to add links to those. So and hopefully just click somewhere on your screen and find those. All right. So I think that's probably us for the first episode. So I hope people have listened and enjoyed it and we'll be back again soon i'm sure we'll have natasha on in the future as well she's always got thoughts about weird love in cinema so i hope we'll have you again on center thanks very much for having me i really enjoyed it
Philosophy and Film podcast was presented by me, Joe Saunders. It was edited by Ollie Jenkins with music from Nathan Mosley. If you have any thoughts on the topics discussed in this week's episode or ideas for films you'd like to see featured, we'd love to hear from you. You can use the hashtag philosophyfilm on Twitter or email us at info at hydeparkpicturehouse.co.uk. We'll try to include and respond to some of your contributions in future episodes. And, of course, if you enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends as well. Coming up in episode two, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Gerald Lang from the University of Leeds about David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Until then, stay safe and thanks for listening.